You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, dedicated to cultivating a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. All right, how many people have heard of uh, SpaceX? SpaceX rockets? Yeah, Um, pretty cool, pretty cool. This is their mission statement, SpaceX. SpaceX designs, manufactures, and launches advanced rockets and spacecraft. Doesn't that sound pretty exciting? (laughs) Sounds pretty exciting. Um, I think some of us are like, yeah, okay. I mean, like, we have rockets and spacecraft in our lifetime, and that's great. We're like, oh, come, whatever. Um, But guess what SpaceX is doing? They're learning how to reuse rockets. Is that impressive? Learning how to reuse rockets? Like, they're actually sending rockets up into space, and they're bringing them back and and landing them back on Earth to be used again, which means that uh, if we can get this technology down, it means that it'll make civilian space travel a possibility in our lifetime. Is that interesting? Some of you are like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. All right, take out, take out your iPhones, everybody, right now. Take it out. You're going to need it to read on anyway. Take it out. I'll give you one little fascinating piece of technology, okay? This iPhone, everybody hold it up, or your Samsung Galaxy, whatever it might be. This has more technology and more power in it than the Apollo 7 space shuttle did when it landed on the moon in 1969. Is anybody impressed? That's impressive, right? Okay, keep this out. You're going to need this in a minute. I told that to my kids. I said, kids, they're like, Daddy, I want your iPhone. I said, kids, do you know the iPhone has more power in it than the Apollo 7 spacecraft that landed on the moon? And they looked at me and they went, how come we don't have an auxiliary jack in our car so we can listen to the iPhone in the car? I was like, selfish, ungrateful people. Because oh, we become so used to um, we become so used to technology and power and the accumulation of it and the fact that there is a convenience that comes with our accumulation of power and with technology. It's a good thing. Um, lots of people are flourishing because of it. I mean, th- you know, ten years ago, we could not type something into a search engine and have literally a million results come up in a thousandth of a second. We could not do that ten years ago, and yet. Be honest, when you do that, you get upset when it doesn't come up right away, don't you? You, you are also ungrateful people. You are. It, like, it's like, who's saying, come on, Eileen? Oh, it's not in the first three hits. I can't figure it out. Stupid Google. Dexy's Midnight Runners. That's who's saying it. But this is what we do, right? So we're advancing at such a rate, okay? Fastest rate ever in the history of mankind. We're accumulating power at such a fast rate, fastest rate in the history of mankind, that we've become to take our power and the way that technology advances and and helps us accumulate power and the way that it's become convenient. We've taken all that and we've run with it, but we've run with it at the expense of other people. What do I mean by that? Our technology, our accumulation of power, the advancements that we've made, the conveniences that we now have, many times come on the backs of other people who look just like us, our sons, our daughters, our nieces, our nephews, our mothers, our fathers. There are people that we don't get to see who are being oppressed so that we might be more convened or that we might be, uh, um, have more power, that we might uh, have the newest and latest and greatest technology. And if you can start to fathom that idea, Then we're getting to the story of the Tower of Babel, okay? How many people read the Tower of Babel when they were young? But real high, so I know, so I know who I'm dealing with here. All right, most of you guys. Derek didn't do it. Everybody point at Derek. (laughs) Um, 
No, so I, I read it too as a kid, and you know, I didn't really understand what it was about. You know, you have these people building a tower, God gets upset and scatters them. So let's read it. I'll read it for you right now. And if you want to follow along, take out that iPhone again. It's Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. You could look, uh, and, and this is what it says. It says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there, and they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered all, all over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, as if one people speaking the same language, they begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them all over the face of the earth. Okay, first thing, this is where we get the word Babel. Like, stop babbling like a baby. See, you, you, this is why you came to church Labor Day weekend. You find out these tidbits. Babel, okay, so what else? Um, I always say that our church, Forefront Church, takes scripture way too seriously to always take it literally. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look at this story and you take it at its face, words on a page, uh, and, and you say this is what is meant right here, well, then we miss out on the point. And not only do we miss out on the point, we actually get some really damaging theology because throughout years and centuries, many, many people, many the theologians use this scripture when looked at literally to, to keep segregation, oppression, and slavery alive. They would say it was never God's intent for us to be unified. Just look at the Tower of Babel story, and therefore slavery should continue, segregation should continue, oppression should continue, and that's messed up. Okay, so that can't be it. And it's not just about people disobeying God by building a tower. So what is this story really about? What are we really getting at here? I always say context is key. And if you want to figure out the context, one simple way to start is to just look around the story. That's the easiest way to start. So by looking around the story, we go to Genesis chapter 10. So if everybody wants to go with me to Genesis chapter 10, uh, what you're going to see when you get there is you're going to see a long line of, um, really, it's just a history of founding fathers of different nations. That's what it is. And frankly, it's kind of boring, okay? Because it's kind of boring to look at a long line of founding fathers of different nations. Um, but when we Google these founding fathers that we see, in Genesis 10, and in one thousandth of a second, you start to get some really interesting stories about these founding fathers. So, let's look at one in particular. Genesis 10, 8 verses 12. It says this. It says, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kalne in Shinar. Let's stop there. Where was this tower built? Does anybody remember? Where were they building the tower? In Shinar. And the tower is called what? Babel. Babel. And Nimrod is the mighty warrior in what place? Babel. All right, are we starting to get the connection? Is this starting to happen? 
All right. Okay, here we go. So, so this says that there's this person, as far as we know, named Nimrod, and Nimrod is the one who's going to build the Tower of Babel. Now, a couple things you need to know. First of all, when people, uh, you gave these names, they weren't talking about just one person. They were talking about a group of people. So Nimrod is actually the name for a group of people. Okay, the second thing we need to know is that it says mighty warrior before God. When you see something like that in the Old Testament, what that always means every single time is that this is a military power. Okay, so Nimrod is a military power. They're a group of people who are mighty, and, and usually military powers back in those days were ruthless. Okay, they're, they're looking to kill other tribes. One more interesting thing. What does Nimrod mean? In the Hebrew, this word Nimrod it means to rebel. So what do we have? We have a story about a giant military power that is usually ruthless, doing things that hurt other people, all right? And they're doing it, and their name is called rebellion. That's what their name is called. Who are they rebelling against? Since it's the Jewish people telling the story, they're rebelling against God. So we have a group of people saying, here's a story about this ruthless military power uh, that's building up large cities and accumulating a lot on the backs of others, and their name is rebellion, okay? You got it? Let's talk further about what that looks like, because now we're going to read Genesis 11 again, and I'm going to say something, and this is going to seem like nothing, but it's a huge deal. Ready? So they said to each other, the Nimrods, said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used a brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so we might make a name for ourselves. Now, that might not seem like anything to us. But you are a new tribe, a new nation, and you're setting yourselves up somewhere, and you're building, and you're building your, your little town, and what you're building with, the building material you have is stone, okay? Let's talk about building with stone. Is it easy to fit stone pieces together, or are they all oblong in different shapes and sizes, right? They, they're, they're hard to build. They're hard to stack. Most of the time we see stone houses now, they're ruined, right? They're called ruins because stone is terrible to build with. <clears throat> and so with stone, not only can you not build well, but you can't, um, you can't keep stuff in and you can't keep what's ever outside to come inside. So they're always damp. They're always dank. They're always the cause of many, much disease. They're always the cause of a lot of sickness. Um, it's hard to live in a stone house, okay? This is hard. Not only that, but in the time of the Iron Age, which we're talking about here, families would be around 16, 17 people, okay? Living in this stone house, which is dark and dank and damp, and, you know, it, it's all one floor. You can't build stones up to create other floors, so what you end up having is you having people literally sleeping all over one another. So imagine your kids got their leg in your face, they're snoring. It's all that you get up, you wake up, and you walk a few miles, and you see this giant military power. You see this group of people, thousands of them, and oh my goodness, look at what they're building, and oh my goodness, look at what they have. They have these blocks, and these blocks are all the same shape, which means they can all stack, and they stack one on top of the other, which means that if you wanted to build another floor, you could. Oh my goodness, talk about a technological advancement. No longer do we all have to sleep on the same one floor. I could build floors. This is incredible. And there's, there's tar and mortar, which seals the block so that there's no sickness and disease and water that gets in. This is absolutely amazing. I can't believe it. This is great new technology. Oh no, it's Nimrod that has this technology. And Nimrod, they're ruthless. And sure enough, Nimrod has always already salvaged and rounded up a bunch of people and oppressed them and put them into slavery. So it's not the Nimrods building the tower, it's the slaves that they've gathered up building the tower. 
That's what's going on. And it's people who are oppressed. So, so you get up and you're like, I have this stone house, but I really just want some of this new technology, these bricks. And Nimrod goes, it's going to be at the expense of your life. Okay? You can do it, but at the expense of your life. In fact, let me ask you a question. Whenever bricks are mentioned uh, in the Bible, what is the other word that often goes along with bricks? When you think about making bricks, building bricks, anybody? is a tough one. It's slavery. When you think about making bricks, you're talking about slavery. Time where the Israelites are making bricks, and that's what uh, eventually gets them to where they want to leave Egypt. And so you have this, this beautiful picture that the Jewish people are telling of a large, ruthless power that have new technology but aren't sharing it instead of using and profiting off this technology at the expense of other people, sometimes making slaves out of it, out of them. That's intense. So what is this really about? This is about nation building. This is about what it means to build a nation under what the shalom that God intends, and this is what it looks like to build a nation under the rebellion that God doesn't intend. And what does the rebellion that God doesn't intend look like? It looks like building for your sake and for your profit. It looks like accumulating power and accumulating new technology so that it only helps you and your people and hurts others. It's about building something so big that you're willing to squash somebody else regardless of whether it hurts them or not. It's basically about becoming your own God, having an ego big enough that says that I am the most powerful thing, I am the empire. That is the affront to God that we're talking about here. So what does God do to it? God says, you know what? Not in my kingdom. You got it all wrong. And so what happens is Nimrod, this powerful military nation, gets destroyed. Okay? So when you call your friend a babbling Nimrod, how many people have done that? Thank you, a couple people. That's impressive. What you're basically saying to them is you're saying like, you were making a huge power grab and that just doesn't work in this world. It's about time we work together. What does this also mean? What does it mean for us? <clears throat> well, I think this is what it means. I think so much of the time, social justice, uh, financial responsibility, social responsibility, capital responsibility, I think those look like and feel like nice ideas. But I think what we end up getting is that it is absolutely imperative in the gospel message for us to be promoting fiscal, social, capital responsibility. It's an imperative. And I don't know about you, that kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. You know why it makes me feel a little uncomfortable? Because I live in America. And guess what? We're the Nimrods. Let's just be honest. We're the empire. Where are the Nimrods? I know there's some of you here sitting here today, and you're sitting there going, I'm not the Nimrod because honestly, I'm broke, and I have six roommates, or whatever it might be. If you make $30,000 a year, you are in the top 3% earners in the entire world, okay? That should give you an idea. We are an empire. We are the Nimrods, we are the ones. And so what we've done, as we've looked and we said, wow, equality, social equality, financial equality, that sounds a little bit like socialism. Sounds like communism to me. Oh my gosh. Uh, Jesus didn't, couldn't really mean that. God doesn't really want that. That's not the piece that God really wants. So what we've done is we've created American Christian platitudes. We've created a list of things that if we do these things, we're pretty good. And now we don't have to worry about the responsibility that comes with fiscal, social, and capital uh, um, um, progress and, and power and, and, and technology and all the rest. And in fact, this guy, his name is Stephen Matson. I like the way he says it. He says this, he says, Christians do a disservice to the gospel message <clears throat> excuse me, by removing the cultural context from Jesus' ministry and watering down his message to one of religious platitudes. 
We like to generalize the words of Jesus and transform that life into a one-size-fits-all model that can apply to all of us. And it's much easier to stand by these American platitudes than it is to actually make real change, to quit being a nimrod. That's difficult. Now, you might be sitting there and going, how is it that we're being nimrods? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty great. You are all pretty great. I believe it. I'll go first. Uh, And I think this is the thing. I think what I realized when I was doing this message, the way I was convicted was was it's not in big ways. It's happening in really small ways, ways in which I think I'm complicit in being a Nimrod. I'll give you an example. This shirt I have on today, I have it on a shirt from The Gap. Um, And it's a good shirt. I wear it a lot. Brings out the blue in my eyes. Um, I went to The Gap and I got it and it was a decent price and it was fine and I've had it for about a year now. Uh, And then I read something, and I read about a a problem in Bangladesh where 1,100 factory workers died and 2,200 more were injured uh, because they lived in unsanitary and unsafe uh, factories. And in fact, what happened after that, when 1,100 died and 2,200 were injured, um, not only were the factories unsanitary and unsafe, but many of these people were working for wages that that kept them in poverty. What kind of factory was it? It was a gap factory. So at what point am I complicit in being a Nimrod? At what point am I saying that I'm accumulating convenience? Because it's super convenient for me to go to the Gap. And it's pretty amazing that wherever that was done, Bangladesh, that I, you can get me a shirt from Bangladesh, get it here to the United States, and I could have it on my back in a week. That's, that's impressive. But at what cost? For what people? I was sitting there um, uh, at a restaurant, and this woman, she goes, hey, uh, I'm ordering shrimp, but I don't know where I'm getting, I want to know where the shrimp comes from. And I thought that was an odd question. I was like, huh. And and so the, the waiter went to find out, and I said, hey, miss, why did you ask where the shrimp comes from? And she goes, any shrimp that comes from Thailand, you have a 70 to 80% chance that that shrimp was harvested by slaves who are confined and kidnapped on slave ships. And I was like, oh my goodness, technology's amazing. You could harvest shrimp, and three days later, it's on our table here at a restaurant. We were in Connecticut, in Connecticut. but at what cost? At the cost of, of people who are confined to slave ships, harvesting shrimp for nothing? And then the, woman came, the server came back and was like, oh, they're from the Gulf. And she was like, great. So, but it made me wonder, like... <laughs> Like, I was like, I was psyched. I was like, yeah. Like, after she told me. But she was, she, and so she says, I make a practice of asking where my food comes from. I want to know where it comes from. I want to know that the food I'm eating, I'm not eating on the backs of other people. And I thought that was amazing. But I also was like, how many times do I just not care? How many times am I an absolute nimrod who just says, you know, this is something new that I have at the expense of somebody else? And I don't think technology's bad. I think it's amazing. I don't think uh, advances in technology are bad. I don't think the power that we have is bad. I don't think the convenience that we have is bad. I think they're all incredible. And there are thousands of examples of that technology and that power and those conveniences being used to bring about the flourishing of people. But what about the times they are not? What about the times where we all have our iPhones? I have mine. It's still in my pocket. And yet, two years ago, it was widespread news that the conditions in, in iPad factories were so deplorable that people were killing themselves. So are we complicit in being Nimrods? My wife and I went to the Tenement Museum. Who's been there? Great. Everybody else needs to go. It's really impressive. 
and you go into this 300 square foot studio, which I know some of you live in 300 square foot studios, but hear me out. It's, it's, and they had 12 to 13 people working in there all the time. They had kids running around because it was also living space. It was 120 degrees. And these people made like a dime, like a dime a day that they had to pay each person. And we were all sitting in this room and we were going, this is ridiculous. Can you believe people live this way? And I went down to tie my shoe and I just caught a glimpse of where my shoe was made. And I go, huh. I wonder if this place where my shoe is made, if, if there's the same kind of conditions there and the same kind of wages there. Huh. Without ever thinking about it again. That is being complicit with the empire. That's being complicit. That, that's us being a, that's me being a babbling Nimrod. And my guess is if you've done the same thing, you can also call yourself a babbling Nimrod too. If we are to worship Christ, if we're, if we're Christ followers, then we have the absolute privilege of working with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, privilege of bringing back shalom and peace to this place. And guess what? We have the power to do it. We've been given the power to do it. We could do it for the flourishing of others, or we could do it on the backs of others. I, for one, want to see people flourish, but let's be honest, when we are privileged like we are, flourishing seems like, or I'm sorry, we're privileged just to, just to help others, to bring equality to others, that feels like oppression. Doesn't that feel like oppression a little bit? Because honestly, I need to get to work, and if I have to walk two blocks to the other coffee shop just because they have fair trade coffee, that feels oppressive. I might be late to work. Now, I could, you know, buy another shirt that, where I know people make a decent wage and where people, uh, um, you know, have good working conditions, but I might have to spend an extra $11 on that shirt, and I need that $11 for drinking money. I don't. You do. <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. I kid. I could join that CSA and, and possibly support you know, a, a farmer who could use the direct support and, and needs that to live, or I could simply go to the grocery store, it's a whole lot easier, and I get to the grocery store and I could buy carrots, and maybe they were harvested by people who are undocumented and don't make any money, maybe they weren't. I don't know. To do the other thing feels oppressive. It's time for us to realize equality is not an oppression. Equality is our duty. It is imperative if we are following the gospel message, if we are working with God to bring shalom to this place. So here's what I want us to do. And I want us to do this over the next couple weeks, okay? <clears throat> We've sat down this past week at Forefront, and we made a list, a long, extensive list of all the places that you could buy clothes uh, that come from uh, sustainably, uh, sustainably sourced factories, where people make living wages. We found places where you could get in touch with people who uh, can uh, help you, uh, I can't even talk, I'm like, help you find a farmer that delivers food to you, and in the same time you're helping that farmer instead of going, I don't know where my food came from. In fact, we have people at this church that work in the food, in, in, in food fields and food industry. We have Jen Ugalino, who's a, a leadership uh, resident of ours, and she uh, works for uh, Grow NYC. That's a big one. Go to her. Say, hey, what will it take for me to buy the right kind of food that I know helps support farmers? Diana Cobus Rice works with nutrition. She does something called Meatless Mondays, and she says, I'd rather you know, not eat meat um, than, than not know where my meat came from or have my meat come in un uncouth or unfair practices. And she helps people realize that there are better ways to eat uh, instead of not knowing where your food comes from. Just be blind by it. 
I think there are organizations we could support. We can support organizations like Nomi Network that we have here all the time. Nomi Network helps people who have been sex trafficked or who are in danger of being sex trafficked and they say, hey, you have a skill. Work in this factory that, that is safe and is good and will pay you a living wage and make stuff and we can buy that. Let's start buying that stuff or at least supporting that organization. My brothers-in-law work for an organization called IJM, International Justice Mission, that literally works to free slaves who are trapped in brick kilns making bricks. It doesn't get more literal than that. We have the power. We have these technological advances. We have these things that make life convenient and easy, and we are an empire, and we have a choice. We have the privilege of doing what God says is imperative, promoting social, financial, capital responsibility, bringing equality to this place allowing people to flourish through the power and the privilege and the technolo technological advances we have. We have that opportunity. And as a church, if we're not using it, we're just a bunch of blabbering nimrods. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege that we have. Thank you that uh, we're here in this time, in this day, in this age. And yes, there's so much we can complain about. And yet we have so much more. Lord, help us to be aware of that fact, consciously aware that we have power to do great things for others, to allow others to flourish. And, and it's simple and it's small ways that we can help create a better life for somebody else that we might not ever see. But help us to remember that's part of the bigger picture, Lord. Part of the fact that through your death and resurrection, you allow us to bring shalom to this place. <clears throat> allow us to be aware. Challenge us to make the sacrifices. Challenge us to, to confess to being Nimrods and allow us to, to be agents of change. We pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat>